Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Quarantine Notes. I'm Mihari Tivoyu. My guest today is Florian Mitrea, a brilliant pianist who I'm delighted to be able to call an old friend. Florian and I know each other since we were both in secondary school back in Bucharest, and I can say that between us there has always been a spirit of friendship, honesty and at times competition of the most constructive kind. As it happens, we ended up living in the same city, London, yet sadly we hardly ever have time to catch up, as we are both usually very busy. This made this conversation, which we had in English rather than our usual Romanian, doubly rewarding. I have also become aware that my Romanian accent is far more noticeable than his. I guess this is just one of the things you start noticing when you do a podcast in a second language. Florian is a prize winner in important international competitions, such as the ARD or Hamamatsu competitions, and during non-pandemic times, he leads a tireless activity, playing concertos and recitals throughout the world, giving lectures and teaching at the Royal Academy. At the moment, he has embarked on the ambitious project of learning and playing all the Mozart sonatas in the space of only a few weeks, in support of charities directly connected with responding to the COVID crisis around the world. Mozart, as you will see, is a special composer for Florian, as is Liszt. We touch on these and many other topics in today's podcast. The conversation we had brought into an even sharper focus for me one of the reasons why I felt the need to start this podcast series. I believe there is a need, perhaps now more than ever, for artists to be heard in a different way than just as providers of beautiful content that magically pops up on your screens. As you will hear, Florian's enthusiasm, passion for music and generosity of spirit radiates from this conversation and is bound to inspire and energize you. At the same time, he doesn't shy away from difficult topics which he articulates with sobering poignancy, such as the uncertainty that musicians and music students face now around the world. And now, without further ado, here's Florian. Hello, Florian, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, and first of all, I just want to ask you how you're doing these days. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's the most popular question these days, isn't it? Uh, thanks for thanks for your invitation. Um, I think I'm I'm doing all right. There are um, good things and, and and bad things, of course, and uh, it's something that no one is. Uh, it has ever have had to deal with in living memory. I suppose only people who have uh, who are old enough to have gone through the war may have some some experience, some comparable experience to what we're going through at the moment. But most of us, certainly people of our age, no, we are even born uh, after the uh, 1989 revolution, so we don't even have that to relate to or to, to, to compare to. Um, it's been it's been a tough. Uh, first period of lockdown i suppose the longer this goes on the more um, i suppose we'll 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 be able to adjust better and to to regulate ourselves to the to the new current um situation 
Uh, but it was tough to begin with, uh, and it was, I don't know, I, I, I had difficulty understanding what was going on and how I kept thinking, oh, three weeks and it's going to all gonna be back to normal. And I, I didn't quite um, understood the magnitude of, of, of everything to begin with. Uh, but I think, as I said, where I'm, I'm sort of heading towards a, a level of adjusting, which will hopefully mean that it'll things will become easier and easier as as the um, lockdown progresses. Yes, it's um, it's interesting you mentioned the, the Second World War. As it happens, um, Joanna and I here we we shared a household with someone who has actually gone through the Second World War. Oh my gosh! Wow. And uh, may, maybe. There will be more about that at some point because it's definitely um, someone with with a very a lot a lot to say, um, and that uh, helps put uh, things in perspective a little bit. That we're we're in in a way in in some ways some aspects of life are still pretty good given the uh, gravity of the situation. But mm. on the on the other hand, speaking as as a musician. Um, I am very aware that the crisis for us is um, quite deep and even at a time when everything else will seem to come to a normal gradually, we will still be far from our um, our normal. Yeah. But um, I'm interested in what you said about adjusting to this to this new mm. uh, to this new situation and mm. As far as I can remember, because we we've known each other for quite a long time, yes, <laughs> um, you're you're someone with a, a, a tremendous amount of energy, and mm. um, I guess I have a, a, a question that comes in in two in two parts for you. One is during normal times, what is it? Where do you find this energy? Is there something that that feeds your um, enthusiasm to to do various projects, uh, uh, be it teaching or going to competitions or giving masterclasses, giving concerts, and the way I I see you expressing this now through your um, project of learning all the Mozart sonatas for a charitable cause. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I suppose. Um... I mean, you're very kind to say all these things. I mean, of course, it's not um, all of it. I, it to just sort of work backwards with, with your question. Um, I confess, the Mozart project was, um, I, I was was born out of desperation. It, it's not necessarily um, something that I, you know, I, I sort of thought long and hard about. Actually. There are, especially for this week's recital, I was really feeling quite out of my depth because um, two of the sonatas I had never done before, and and they were pretty fiddly, and and I, I I'm usually quite a slow learner. I take forever to learn something and to put on stage, but I obviously I wanted it to be a challenge, so I didn't want to play something that I've played a hundred times. I just wanted it to be something new, and um, but I, I I I it was just one day when I thought I just had enough of not not being able to do anything at all and to do to do any to bring any contribution to what's happening it sounds like everyone is pulling their weights in in fighting this thing and and there's so many i don't know i i am some people just seem to be able to brush off all these stories of oh yeah there's another nurse that died uh, while looking after uh, you know covid-19 patients but i just think that you know this is really very much like a you know p- people are going to war and dying for us and the rest of us are kind of I, I, you know at one level i understand we have to stay indoors and and that helps as such but it's 
it's an it felt a very paralyzing um um, paralyzing feeling. So I, I just wanted to do something, and I don't know. It, there's a there's a selfish element in the in the whole thing, you know. I, that I just wanted to give myself something, um, something concrete to to work towards and to do. Um, and then I thought, you know, you know, because I thought I'll just I'll just play. But then I thought, you know, that's you know, how is that you know bringing any any sort of help at all? So I thought if people would feel inclined to give something towards supporting this you know and even the smallest donation you know something like i was reading up on um I, i'm sort of researching charities that i want to support with these concerts and on the um uh, british heart foundation there's a calculator that says you know 15 pounds can can help um something like four nurses look after a per, um uh, one patient each for a day or something like that it's 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 remarkable how far a very small amount of money can go um, and obviously fundraising is a very, very difficult thing to do. And I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not making a gigantic contribution with, with the donations at all, but it, it's a lovely feeling to, to, to know that you're at least I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of doing something. Um, but I suppose with the, with the, you know, the, the other part of your question, start of your question, um, this period is, it's very i i'm finding it very very hard particularly because i'm used to having a hundred projects at one time and not all of them working fine and having crisis moments emergency things to look after and suddenly there's the schedule is empty and um you know i'm not i'm not used to uh, to sort of you know having lines in the morning and I, I don't know if it's good or bad it's just how how i work and um it's it's been tough from that from that regard and uh, teaching is a lifeline actually i'm 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 very lucky to be able to to have students who are willing to to be taught through the internet which of course is not not an ideal medium and that in itself takes a long time you know it's it's actually i i'm having to plan a lot more than i usually do i usually just sort of turn up a lesson and, and sort of just work with what the student has on that day but i'm i'm having to do a lot more planning because obviously it's not the, the dynamic between you and the student, I'm sure you must have felt this, that is, it's just not there. It almost it doesn't exist anymore. So you'll have to, you have to really find ways to, to sort of recreate this in a very abstract, in yes. a very abstract manner. Do, do you find that, can it be a, a comparable replacement for live, real life lessons? Oh, I mean, I, it depends on the level of student, I suppose. I don't yes. think... I, I don't think it works well with beginners, with real beginners, uh, and I don't think it works really well with very advanced people. I think it works the best with students who have had their first steps taken. They have a good grasp of notation, for example. It's so important to, uh, if you know, to, if the child does not um, uh, read confidently, it's a nightmare because oh. <laughs> you're, you're yes. having you're having to to supplement this a lot. Um, with, with a lot of external things, you know, I'm, I have two cameras here, one to be over the keys, you know, you're we're doing this or the other, and or showing the scores, um, or I'm I'm doing a lot of um, pre-recorded stuff which I'm sending through, and I'm explaining how to read one or the other. Um, that's a, that's a complete hassle. So it's also, at least uh, twice the work that you would have to yeah, put in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with a very advanced student, of course, they're not. Um, I mean there have been improvements of course and there are tweaks that you can make to to enhance the quality of the connection that you get and you get enhance this old sound quality and, and all that stuff 
but then inevitably there's a, you know there's a time delay and then sometimes the, the the connection just falls down just for a couple of seconds uh, and then you you know you've missed that bit or uh, or his microphone is not um, is not picking up the, all the details that they're trying to make and you say oh you're rushing you're rushing but actually it's the connection that's that's playing up with the pacing of the playing so it's not it's it's a bit of I mean you can go there are ways in which you can go around that thing you know you can uh, I found that the thing that works the best is for the students to send um, recordings of their own work in progress. So it's not a it's not a perfect recording, but they record themselves playing the piece at the stage that it is at that moment, and then you can make sort of comments on on the piece um, on on the recorded piece. Yes, and and am I right in thinking that you you also have students at the Royal Academy at the moment? Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's really heartbreaking. I mean, in a, in a way, it just takes me back to my student days and I realize uh, that I wouldn't have been able to cope with this if that happened when I was a student because uh, I yes. don't, uh, you know, so many, so many piano students, I mean, I think it's particularly unfair to piano students uh, because they don't have a good instrument. They, they, they may have no instrument at all or they may have an electric instrument that's not nearly um, good enough for you know and there's a lot of them are reluctant to play in front of teachers i mean we have some of not right. of my own students but i know from talking to other of the professors the uh, other professors they um some prefer as i said to either to send old recordings or to just discuss uh, um, various topics either professional development topics or oh let's let's talk about rubinstein's recording of this or the other but they're very which has its its place and uh, has course. a value of its own but it, of course it, it cannot go on indefinitely you know you can't yeah. you can't spend a whole year talking about i don't know Tsifras recordings of list etudes you know with uh, you know it's it's just cannot <laughs> go on forever you still have eventually you have to get on to me and so many of them uh, I mean, some of them have been able to go home. I have a Korean student who managed to get um, get back to Seoul, uh, but she doesn't have a piano even in Seoul because her, her family sold hers, I think, when she left. And uh, she was relying on practice studios in the center of Seoul. But there's a new outbreak in Seoul at the moment, and they've been oh, locked down again. Uh, so she's again had to stop her and you know you go to a practice studio and then there's not good Wi-Fi the, the internet isn't good and it was not good it's it's a real hassle and uh, as I said I think it's particularly unfair to piano students who are relying on the availability and you know it as well as I you know when we were students you know you you had to wake up early and go to a conservatory to find a practice room to practice because you didn't have any other option yes uh, and obviously that's been taken away from them right now and uh, some of them who haven't been able to fly home immediately when the lockdown was just starting now now being stuck in here um and um now it's 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 very very difficult and there's no contingency plan for them no one is really actively helping them in any way and it's it's heartbreaking to see them like this and i've um you know there's there's nothing that i can think that i can immediately do to help them but yes this is something that i was actually just thinking about the other day of uh, how how badly I'm I think I'm experiencing this now and how much worse even it would be if, if I were a, a, a music student right now yes. or a, a recent graduate of, of mm. a music college mm. and then of course I mean the, the, the problem with it being so prolonged and with the uh, you know the inevitable fact that is that you know concert halls theaters 
churches are probably going to be one of the are going to probably going to be some of the last places to open together with hotels and restaurants because we rely on a lot of people being there to listen to us um that actually just starts to put in question the entire the entire idea of our jobs as musicians you know what you know some some people are really having serious thoughts about what is what am i doing um, you know, training to become a professional musician when I cannot realistically hope to make a living out of this uh, for the next, you know, possibly a couple of years. I mean, I, I, I read a very, very discouraging um, uh, article about singing teachers and, and opera singers and, and choirs and all, everyone, all, all musicians that sing, uh, that their normal activity may not be resumed um, sooner than in the in, in next two or three years. Uh, you know, there was this absolutely horrible, horrible concert in Amsterdam at the concert about they did uh, Matthew's Passions for the for, for Easter, and something like twenty of the choristers uh, were infected with the choir with 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 the with the virus, and four of them actually died of it. So yes, it's uh, um, I've it, read it's, about that. You know, it's horrifying. And, and then you're having you know you you're uh, you're not there in person to actually you know in. I, I don't know, sort of inspired a student with your energy, if you like. You're at the end of a, a probably poor internet connection, and you never know how they can hear you or how well they can see you. And you're having to say, no, of course, there's a place for our job, and of course, there's a future, and of course, music will survive this, and you'll have to keep going, and you know, you'll have to, and you know, you have these these students who are looking at, you know, at you and and saying, but I have to survive for the next two or three years. I'm about, you know, the, most of them are sort of between 20 and 30 years old. Uh, they probably left their homes. I have to somehow make a living out of this. Um, and you're telling me to just hang in there for the next three years because music will survive this. It's a very poor, it's a very poor argument. And, and, and it's, it's incredibly, incredibly hard. And I think it will be, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to take a lot more than just, oh, we'll get through this, you know, we'll meet, it, 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 there has to be some practical um, solutions brought to the, uh, the question, because otherwise I think we'll, we'll face a major crisis. There is a lot of uh, conversation about what could be that solution, and, and I've seen a few, a few suggestions for uh, concerts resuming, with uh, one being the suggestion of having smaller audiences and the concert repeated several times yes. in a yes. day. Um, for me, the, the solution with the social distancing concert seems very, on one hand, sad and on the other way, very impractical. I'm not yeah. sure that will catch on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you on this one completely. I mean, it's not, uh, of course, you know, it, 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 in principle, you could um, get social distancing um, concert halls, you know, so you could get people sitting, uh, you know, at, at quite a distance from each other. But there are things like, for example, in between all these concerts, uh, you know, they, 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 there has to be deep cleaning done because, you know, you want to bring in a new group of people sitting on the same chairs. And, and, and the advice seems to be that there has to be deep cleaning between each event. I mean, that means time, right. that means stuff, that means budgets for all that. Uh, something that a lot of people don't have, and um, and also there there is a problem of of trust and confidence in the public. I find that even if because there's been so much misleading guidance in the media about what is actually going on, yes. I think people are starting to not believe 
the advice and actually say, well, you may say it's all right for me to go out to concert, but actually I don't feel confident about doing that. So I'm actually going to stay put for another year or so until I can make absolutely sure that this is safe. You know, when, when they first they started by saying we're not going to have a lockdown, now we're going to have a lockdown. Then they said we're only going to have 20,000 deaths, now we have 50,000 deaths or whatever. It's, it's just there's been too much... Um, part truths, shall we call them, for people to actually have any belief in what is being said and what is being advised. Yes, well, there's certainly, that's, I mean, one of the reasons why I, I stopped following the news, um, uh, the other reason being for my mental health, but uh, oh, yes. also for, for the all these contradictions that uh, simply, uh, they seem to, I don't know if they're because of, yeah. people not knowing enough about the virus yet or uh, mm. because of incompetence or other reasons but yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, it's just not worth uh, following mm. and to to what extent do you think uh, the the internet can play a role in in um, our future as performers i mean you've you've shown in a way um that a lot of value can be brought uh, online uh, it's o not only the intrinsic value of of the music that you're playing for for the audiences that watch it, uh, and but to that you also added a, a social element of uh, this uh, really meaningful fundraising campaign for health services in in the UK as well as in Romania. So, I guess my question is, how much do you think can be done by us online and or? How much of that um, is limited by? I mean, I, th I think there there is a lot that can be done, and we're not we're not there. You know, we haven't depleted all the resources of the, of the internet. Of course, there will be, and you know, there, there will be things um, that can be done. And I I think uh, in the same way that doctors and scientists all over the world are racing for this vaccine, I think the same way. Um, IT companies are working towards improving all the time the services. You know, before the lockdown, I had never heard of Zoom, uh, mm -hmm. and now it's uh, it's actually a lifeline, and it is considerably better than other platforms. You know, I've tried to have lessons on other platforms, and they didn't work not nearly as good as they work on Zoom. So that that's already you know, and they may well get to a point where they can. Because at the moment the big threshold is the the time delay that's between the, the the connections that 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 bans from people making chamber music and playing together, which is something that music is so incredible at, just bringing people together and having that social interaction. Uh, I mean, if that can be surpassed at some point, uh, that would be a major game changer. And of course, all these things will help. And I think there is there is an argument. You know, there's, it's we have to say that. Um, I mean, I know I've done it, and I think there are many people that, you know, people have um, resorted to the arts and culture to, um, you know, to to cope with all of this. You know, there's a, apparently there's a huge intake of, of um, a new take of reading. There's an uptake in watching all these uh, perform online performances. You know, there's a I think the Royal Shakespeare Company is putting up uh, plays. Royal Opera House has done it, you know, and I've watched their performances. Of course, it is not the same thing. And actually, I find that it takes out of you a lot more as a listener. You really actually have to to actively try to concentrate 
on what's being shown to you on the screen rather than when you go to the concert hall or the opera house and you're sitting there and the lights go off and your you're, whole you're attention just immersed in it exactly yeah. you're actually having to to work hard as a as a as a as a watcher as a as a viewer or something to to sit through um an entire opera or an entire ballet or whatever and with my live streams for example i can i can see the viewings coming in and out you know nobody stays for a full hour whereas when you go to a concert yeah. concerts are like i don't know two hours or something you know obviously this and most people don't find that a problem um it, it's 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 totally different and i think we've got to you know one of the things that we can we need to to try to find is to to rather than just putting a camera which is what i'm doing now uh, putting a camera there and playing to find ways to attract and educate the audience to say you know why you know this the, we're playing this music and this is what it's all about and and intersperse it perhaps with spoken introductions or or some illustrations you know to kind of help help the experience because it's not you know i mean we if we actually go back i mean at the moment i think we're all or more or less re reformulating ourselves as musicians. But I know you very well personally, and I think I'm not wrong when I'm saying you're the sort of musician uh, that will, you know, we know that, that recordings are never going to be as good as a live performance in the concert hall. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that we all have to become some, you know, Celebidake clones and be like, <laughs> no, we're never going to record whatever. But there is truth in that. There is truth, you know, you have absolutely no control of what goes out of the other end to your listeners. You don't know what speakers they're using, you don't know how good their connection is, and you have very little control, you know, you may be doing all the most wonderful details of articulation and phrasing um, on your piano. If, you, if your listener is watching you on their phones, no headphones, just through the, through the iPhone speakers, it, uh, so much of it is going to be lost. So that what we have and it's a very difficult task ahead of us, is we'll have to somehow try to compensate that lack of um, immediate contact with the music that we're producing with something else until hopefully we can all go back to going. I don't, I, it, this is something that, and it's, it's terrifying, but I'm slowly starting to think that, un, you know, we have to, get to a point where we need when we can go back to the concert halls otherwise i don't think music will will i think that the thirst for of course it's wonderful to watch the berlin philharmonic play live you know for us for free but that's that novelty element is going to wear off and unless the public will educate themselves to be like right this is the concert now we're going to turn everything off in the house turn all off all the phones and all the distractions and we're going to focus on the laptop because Berliner Philharmoniker is playing for us. Um, I don't think we'll be able to to survive to survive this. Yes, oh, it's uh, wonderfully said, and I I agree with with so much of what you've said without even having discussed it before. But uh, <laughs> you you formulated so much of my own thoughts about the matter, mm. uh, including this idea that why why don't we use this time that the the audience has more time and um uh, to 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 communicate in a different way with them mm. uh, not simply by just offering wonderful music which which is great that we're doing and um but also yeah. to 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 as you said very well to to illustrate that to to put it in a certain context and um another another worry is that while this this universal access to 
to to great music and to live streams and and so mm. on is 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 a, is a fantastic th thing in a way. It does raise the question of how are artists going to be able to make a living out of it. Yeah, no, that's the thing, you know. And now I'm, you know, of course I'm incredibly grateful to everybody that's watching uh, my Mozart challenge. Um, but there's something to be said in the fact that you know I've had something between two thousand and three thousand views. Uh, if every single person that watched that would have donated one pound, thing you know, I, the, the the nations would have gone much higher than they've actually been. So it's actually very very hard to make people think that this is worth their money. You know, it's it's going to be it's very, it's going to be very hard to convince people that our work is we're putting in just the same amount of work. We've we've we're still using skills that we've been building over decades over countless hours and sacrifices that we had to do to make in order to to be to be at the level that we are um it's going to be hard to but you're just you're just playing through you know i can watch a thousand free youtube videos uh why would i sort of award you for your work now you know you know it's it's a, it's it's a very hard question with no no immediate answer i'm afraid yes there is certainly there is this idea that what is on the internet should be for free and um it, it it is hard to go against that and yeah. it it remains to be seen what what sort of yeah. model we can look for um i i think one 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 thing that you said and which which i'd i'd love to take out of this conversation as a uh sort of motto or mm. or thing to to strive for is that mm. we have to go back to the concert hall that is mm. ultimately what yeah. what what we should hope for oh. and yeah. uh, do you have a particular plan or a particular project that that is just waiting for this freedom of of going back to the concert hall? Um, I mean, n I suppose the plan is to to I think I'm more than ever determined to do my job as well as I can. Actually, um, I suppose the way I said that, you know, this could be a an educational th thing for audiences and, you know, we and we could use this time to educate the audiences. I find it is an educational time for me as well because it really, I, I realize that at some point I took for granted, oh, but of course people will come to concerts because, you know, of course, of course music matters. And, you know, because it did to me, because it matters to me, I sort of took for granted that it matters for other people. And I suppose one big plan would be to actually work even harder than ever to make it worth people's times when, when people do come to concert to be so prepared and so I, I don't know with with my homework done so that you know people people leave a little bit transformed you know that you know to to take any concerts you know I, I'd love to have the sort of attitude uh, that will make me take any concert any opportunity to be on stage and in front of people um, to consider it a privilege and to to try to make it worth uh, you know, as much as possible to make people think that, oh, yes, I've, I've missed that. I've been missing this so much. Um, you know, I, uh, it, it's, it, it is a very thing, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's the paradox of thing, you know, without, obviously, back in December, I had no idea about this virus and whatever, but um, I had a, a sort of meeting with students in Bucharest and we talked about exactly this. Um, and why are concerts important? You know, and sometimes, especially for young students, 
um, we always, and at least I, I suppose I'm speaking for myself, there was always a feeling that unless it was a competition or a competitive event of some sort, constants were a bit like, you know, you, you'll be fine. No one's going to penalize you for this or the other. No one's going to um, make you, you know, sort of give you a bad mark or whatever if, if the concert wasn't really quite spot on. Uh, whereas, of course, if you went for a competition, I mean, you had to practice really hard and for it to be very well. Um, but we were just talking about this last December and I, you know, we, the conclusion of our discussion was that actually concerts are as important, if not more important than competitions, because you are, you know, take this example, you know, someone comes to the concert, they've never been to a concert, but some friend of a friend of a friend has invited them and they reluctantly said, okay, fine, I'll go and listen to, I don't know, Mozart or Beethoven. And then you walk on stage, sort of half prepared, not really with your homework done, you know, half-baked performance, doesn't really make much of an impact on them because you're not really with it. Uh, you've missed an opportunity. If you go on stage um, really convinced about the message of the music you're playing and dying to share it with people and making it into a big deal, like the biggest deal of them all, um, you know, you're, you're going to miss the opportunity. You know, if you had done that, if you had thought of it as the one chance to win someone over to the side of classical music, you know, that, that, that would have been an incredible thing you'd have done, not just for yourself, but for the entire profession. But you can miss those opportunities. And I suppose this time is making me feel like no opportunity must be missed in future. You know, whenever it doesn't matter where you play, you can play in the smallest village in a the, the village hall for 20 people there, if you make it the, like the, the greatest experience they've had in, you know, in, in the last two years, that's, that's still worth it. It's, it's just as worth as playing at the, I don't know, at the proms in front of thousands of people, the Royal Albert Hall. It's just the same thing. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more and I feel this so strongly. In, in fact, it's, it's funny that in, in the previous episode with Joanna, I, I said something um, speaking about this uh, idea of returning to the concert hall. I, and I said that my teacher's advice uh, was play every concert as if it's going to be your last. Yeah. And I mean, that's just incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Now it's, it's more poignant than ever, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and um, another um, funny thing is I was watching this program on, on BBC Four the other day uh, called, uh, I think, something along, uh, like BBC's Perfect Pianists or something like this. Right, right. And right. there was some wonderful footage uh, from the BBC archives of, of pianists. Uh, I love I love seeing Richter and Horowitz mm -hmm. and uh, a little known uh, footage of Radulupu playing the Greek concerto when he was young with <gasps> oh, Andrew wow. Previn. Check it out. It might be still on, on the iPlayer. And um, Glenn Gould um, was giving one of his typically provocative uh, course, interviews yeah. <laughs> saying that he thinks the classical concert as a genre would be dead. Uh, and, and the interviewer asks, so you think people won't go to a concert, let's say in the year 2000? Uh, and he says, well, well, I would be very disappointed if they do. Oh, gosh. And... <laughs> And uh, that is followed by uh, a, a video of a full Royal Albert Hall listening to the Tchaikovsky Concerto, uh, played by Lang Lang very well, actually. And it, it couldn't have been a, a, a worse, more wrong um, mm. prediction about the future, I think. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. people do need concerts. And I was of tempted. Course. 
I was tempted to think during these times that my I I'm probably in a minority of people who miss the the classical concert and that the maybe the audience doesn't care as much as I do and um mm. I've I've received a very touching message actually from from someone I know a music lover who said to me what are we going to do without our musicians The funny thing is we can easily be drawn into this false idea that classical music is um has a, a restricted number that people that go to classical music concerts uh, are old and retired and uh, you know and the young people don't are not interested in in classical music but a lot a lot of the times i find that it's it's the prejudice but actually if you do get young people coming to concerts um you will find that actually they think it's cooler than they initially thought um you know they they somehow there's something there that appeals to them uh that they didn't initially and as i said you know that's why i think you know if there is i mean i don't have a concrete plan but if there's something i am planning to do whenever we go back to concerts is to really make the concerts be like the biggest deal ever because there there are there are chances in in concerts um without even knowing you know you never know who's sitting down there and listening to you you never know what in what you do may just strike a chord with them that they that would um really convince them and sort of make them come back to the concert hall which i think is one of the th one of the things that we uh, we have as a mission as musicians you know of course it's not just you know you're you're out there and you have to deliver a concert you're out there trying to nurture the audience for classical music all the time and i think every time you give as i said a half big concert mm -hmm. um you're 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 damaging if you like the the the, the work rather than um you know the sort of enhancing it which is what you can do when you have and and there are such rare opportunities you know concerts even you know so i i want to say the old days but of course it's not the old days it's just a couple of months ago but even <laughs> just a couple of months ago when let's say you know we we were having a normal life concerts are a rare thing we know this very well you know they come very rarely and um you know you still have to you know try to make the best of it whenever they come but i suppose it was never more clear than it is now that this is what we have to do but we can yes. work towards it from now i suppose and we 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 can yes we can set the terrain for that uh yeah. in this time yeah. now i i will would like to take take you in a slightly different direction now and yeah. um i saw it very fitting that you chose a, a mozart project Mm. Um, and it's an interesting thing that if you, if someone mentioned your name uh, a few years ago, uh, I would have thought immediately Liszt. And <laughs> these days, I would go towards Mozart, um, and not not because there aren't many other composers that you play great, but there's, I find a, a really a, um, transcendental quality to your Mozart, and that that's it has been noticed even by someone like Martha Argerich, mm. and I'm curious. When did you discover this affinity and how did it come about? And if you still love Liszt, I'm also curious. Ah, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll have to watch myself because you could be here for hours. Um, <laughs> with Mozart, I mean, it, first of all, it's, it's really kind what you're saying. I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm worthy of all these comments. I don't, I, much of the time, I don't really know what I'm doing, really. So it's not, I don't, I don't consider myself an expert in either of these composers, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just find them so incredibly hard, each in their own right. 
Um, the thing with Mozart is it's actually very old. I mean, I, I, I as I was growing up in Bucharest and you know the sort of comments that people make. I was always told I have a horrible sound from Mozart, that it's much too loud and much too harsh and much too this. And, and that's because, to paraphrase Brendel, I think some of the people we knew back then still have this idea of the, oh, my German is so poor, I can't even remember how you say the marzipan chocolates, but the, the Mozart kugel, um, whatever. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the sort of sound you should have in Mozart, you know, the sort of marzipan chocolate Mozart, rather than, uh, you know, the, the Dutch me not Mozart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think one of the, you know, one of my lucks, if you like, one of my, uh, it, it was that, that, that the conception has changed. So people now are more open towards a, a Mozart that's not afraid to be more assertive, I suppose. Yes. Um, but it started, I mean, I suppose it's, um, uh, we're always indebted to our teachers. You know, I, I, I started doing a lot of it. Uh, in fact, it was one of the composers I did a lot, I think most of when I was growing up. Um, and it was so funny, like the, on yesterday, one of the sonatas that I played, I remember I played it in my audition to join the music school. So I was a very late joiner and I went to a normal music school up to the age of 14. So I remember I played the, one of them in it. So it was a rather lovely sort of journey back in time. Um, but I suppose uh, the, the, the thing with Mozart is um, be, it comes back to my love for the theatre and I, I think there's nothing sometimes you get these questions you know what is your dream concert I mean and I, I actually have an, an answer to this although I never have answers for questions like this but I my dream concert is to play a recital of Mozart arias with Cecilia Bartoli who's like my favorite Mozart singer Ever, ever, you know, in, in history. I mean, I think that woman is just genius with this repertoire. Um, and, you, you know, that's, uh, you know, you find that theatrical and operatic character in everything that Mozart's written, and just, um, that's just so appealing and so exciting. I mean, some of the, I think it was the first or the second sonata I played a couple of weeks ago, and I never learned them, you know, I never went into the order of them, and I thought, God, it's so incredible, it's just so exciting and thrilling, and it's exactly like a, you're almost, ev you're, you're a theatre director, you're the singer, you're the actor, you're everything in one, but you're just sitting down and you're playing the piano, and that's, it's just extraordinary, and, um, and I always find about this, the piano sonatas of that, that period that everyone thinks, oh, Beethoven, of course, and of course, it's you know, it's you have to we have to recognize that the Beethoven sonatas are absolute gigantic cornerstones in in the, in music history. But these ones are so underrated. I think they're just as groundbreaking um, as as the Beethoven ones. But they're not given credit for that, and I I think that's that's unfair. Um, the thing with Liszt, actually, I find that you go through stages, you know, you learn Liszt as a young, young pianist going up. And I, I, I talk for myself, I loved the, um, I don't know, it's like, well, first of all, I used to be incredibly frustrated that the piano wasn't part of the orchestra. I loved the repertoire, the big orchestral repertoire, and I hated that I wasn't part of it. It was just so frustrating. And then you discover Liszt and you think, actually, I'm all right, because I can do it all just myself at the piano. Um, and you're, you're fascinated by that. Uh, I don't know that uh, that 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 sound universe, and it's almost sometimes. Um, I mean, I found the almost the sportiness of it a little bit appealing. I have to confess, but then you move through 
understanding him and I'm now very biased because I've done a I've done a project with my father-in-law who's a an Anglican priest and a Franciscan and uh, he's he's incredibly passionate about Liszt because Liszt was a Franciscan and he he really finds the Franciscan Christ, Christian principles in Liszt's writings in his letters and in his music and we've done an incredible project um, more or less centered on the B minor sonata which um, uh, Ian and I think is Franciscan music uh, and it started off from a book um, of Paul Merrick which I think is something called religion in Liszt's works or something like that and Paul Merrick argues that the B minor sonata is basically um, uh, it's it's the, the the biblical story told in 30 minutes it's it's actually that you know you've got the the the, the evil theme and you've got the uh, the the um, all the the holy trinity themes you've got christ you've got the crucifixion um and this it's not it's not completely you know it's it's it, you can immediately see there's grounding in it you know there's the there's a motif in in uh, in in the sonata that um list uses in other works with overtly christian subject like via crucis for example mm -hmm. which he calls in german thus kreuzes motifs you know the, the motif of the cross so actually it's not just the uh, a sort of very you know the thin argument there is there is level to it also leslie howard says that at the end of the manuscript of the Vimana sonata he wrote ld which is this uh, grace be to god you know la, la, laus deo in 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 latin um, and that just completely changed my idea about Liszt. I mean, now everything that I play by Liszt, I, I, it seems to me like it's Christian. Now, I've played Mephisto Waltz for like 10, 20 years, yeah? Well, not 20 years, but like at least 10 years I've been playing that piece. And I used to think it's all about evil and haha, the sort of the, the, the bad guy and everything. And now I think, or oh, maybe, maybe it's actually, it's not about that. Maybe it's about um, Liszt questioning the condition of the, the humans in relationship you know in in this fight between god and, uh, and 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 the devil and between evil and divinity um it's completely changed and now and i you know everything that i used to be so i don't know blinded by these sort of these muscly passages and these the octaves and the the scales and arpeggios and everything and now i think He's just trying to, you know, there's a there's a passage in one of the one of the texts that we researched for this project. Um, he says, you know, oh, music has to change and it's got to become overwhelming. It's got to overwhelm the emotions. It's got to overwhelm the head, the mind. Everything's got to be taken over by music. And I think, well, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to make the piano be so powerful that it but it's not a show off. It's not a, let me just show you how fast I can play octaves. It's more of a, let me just overwhelm you with this enormously powerful music that will convince you. And I, I, I'm absolutely convinced now of it. People think, I, you know, we've, we've done this project a few times. It's, all, it's like a concert lecture. And not everyone is convinced by it. People think that we're, you know, we're kind of stretching the point a bit. <laughs> um, people don't believe, you know, he thinks that the people think he was a womanizer and, you know, wasn't really a religious guy. But there are things, you know, for example, there are, there are young letters when 
his dad had to talk him out of becoming a monk because Liz was like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go to a monastery and, 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 you know, and dedicate my, my life to God. And, and, you know, so was... it's not, it's not just something that he came to at the end of his life. No, absolutely all. not. It's a no, lifelong it's, journey. It is a lifelong journey. And it starts off even before it started with his dad. His dad tried to become a Franciscan monk and Together with that, he'd had an apprenticeship, a, a period of apprenticeship with the Franciscans. And together with the Franciscans, he, they agreed that actually this wasn't for him, that the monastic life wasn't for him. But he stayed in close connection with the Franciscans. He, they worshipped together. And when Franz was very young, you know, he apparently, he's called Franz, Francis, because of St. Francis. It's not just a coincidence or a, you know, sort of just like, you know, they felt like naming their, their baby boy friends. It was a, it was a pre-planned thing. Um, yes. I mean, that's, and you know, to answer your question, I absolutely adore Liszt and I adore him more than I ever did, but for, for different reasons. Yes, that this is often the neglected spiritual side of Liszt, which is so strong. It is and... incredibly strong, yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I've also played the Liszt Sonata and I've, I know you I've have wonderful the, recording. <laughs> I've read the Brendel's argument uh, who, who claims mm. that uh, Liszt has many religious pieces, but uh, this sonata, we yes. can make this sonata yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I have to say your, your argument is very persuasive. And yeah. but um, also, you know, and I'm I'm talking with, you know, my dad in law, Ian, he's not he's no musician. He's got no studies in music as such, but he it, it obviously is an incredibly well-educated person and he sees all these arguments and and he had a point to make do you know listed especially during his time he was accused so many times of being a show-off boasting about you know his qualities and all that can you imagine the outrage that he would have been if Liszt said actually here's the bible in 30 minutes in a piano sonata if he actually had declared look i'm i'm writing about god i'm writing about christianity through a piano sonata. people have gone mad oh this is horrible list you know and he's his, uh, you know, inelegant uh, manner of boasting about his greatness and about it. You know, I think actually he's much more, you know, by leaving it. And the other thing we have to we have to be very careful about. I don't think Liszt ever thought that music could exist just for the sake of it. There's, yes. you know, there's there, there's much too much in his writings, in his uh, to believe that he would just write abstract music that didn't mean anything. They didn't have a very strong, clear message. So by just leaving it like i think he's just trying to do like say you know i, I am already being accused of being a show-off i might as well just leave it as it is and if people have ears to listen to it uh and to know me as a person you know they will know what i'm going for what i'm what i'm following here um you know the fact that he didn't specifically say oh yes this is about god and christ and blah blah, blah. you know that's not to say that this is about nothing you know yes Yes, I, I agree. I think that the, the the spiritual and the transcendental element in in that piece are really shine through. Of course, uh, even in in the absence of a of a program as such. Mm. Mm. Um, that's wonderful, and, and it's very interesting to to hear about this um, uh, this research and and this um, these discoveries about lists. Mm. Uh, who who seems the, the the stereotypes about him seem to still not have been completely dispelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, honestly, and the, some of the funny things that we were, and again, we, we caused some laughs in the audience when we, uh, we presented that. You know how the people think that he was a womanizer? And, yes. you know, he, and he slept around and, you know, he had lots of, uh, lots of girlfriends and whatever it was. Um, you know, 
Ian was was you know by just summing up all these letters and everything you know he was presenting a situation and actually it convinced me you know imagine so he meets the first lady who's in an unhappy marriage she's a young bored woman married to an old guy who's you know not making her happy and anyway she's frustrated and she goes to list and says oh you know i'm this or the other and i'm bored or whatever. someone else you know and the, the, the you have to think about the society in those times i mean the society was so gossipy it was unbelievable you know someone you know lisa would have g given a concert and this married woman comes and sort of flings her and she's like oh your concert was wonderful and list was a gentleman list was the the old style old school um you know chevalier the the, the guy that would not rejected he wouldn't be like oh go away woman you know he wouldn't dream of doing that someone at the other corner of the salon would have seen that seen oh did you see that list and how he was you know he was approaching that that young married woman i mean that's just this is you you, you cannot deny that this would be possible and then the second woman he met um was again in the same situation she was in an unhappy marriage she tried to get it annulled there, there have been several attempts for her to get her marriage annulled she they, she couldn't get her marriage nullified in the end and then they split up they literally they decided to stay friends but not continue their relationship because she is still a married woman that's a very decent thing to do you know that's that's you know and um, maybe if list would be more selfish if list had been more selfish and more just looking after the he would have seen you know, i cannot be seen in the in in the company of this married woman i shall reject her Maybe he wouldn't have lived to have such a bad reputation. Um, of course, I mean, none of these things can be proven, but they're the same thing. I don't think that a lot of these, his presupposed affairs and womanizing all over Europe can be actually, you know, proven uh, to the point of no doubt. Well, and, and that it was still, if, if they were true, it would still beg the question whether they have some relevance on his music or not. But I guess yes. that we would get into a too complicated yeah. philosophical argument here. <laughs> quite, quite, yeah. <laughs> well, Florian, you, you've been very generous with your time. And no, no, it, thank you. It's been really fascinating. Um, I, I, just, I guess I just have one more question before uh, yeah. I let you go back to your, uh, <laughs> to your still busy schedule somehow, even in, in isolation. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the first thing that you will do once... Um, let's say borders are open or, or the, the state is, is back to normal in, in some way? Mm. Uh, I, it's, a very, it's a very good question. I, I think, um, I suppose I haven't given it enough thought, but I should. I think all of us need to think carefully what we will do when we, I suppose we'll have to see how the world, what, what the world would be like when we come out because I, I don't deny the idea that we, I think there will be a thirst for live performance. So I think, provided that it is safe, people will flock to concert halls and will flock to theatres and to um, to show halls and, and, and everything else because there is, it's in the human nature. That's why I don't believe, and with all due respect to Glenn Gould, I, I think he was badly mistaken here. There's There's something in human nature that's craving for this Communicate, communication for this this un, um, uninterrupted sharing of emotions and of thoughts that happens in a live performance of whichever kind even if it's stand-up comedy I think it's still different when it's in the room rather than on on screen um, 
but we'll have to see how the world will have changed in the meantime because there is inevitably going to be some um, core changes um, I think they're still in the coming and uh, you know we'll have to see how how concert halls operate the whole model may have changed uh, you know the uh, maybe the the idea of orchestras being resident in a concert hall may have disappeared and there may be more flexibility around I don't know but I, I suppose it's a very vague answer and I realize it's very unsatisfactory for you <laughs> but uh, I, I I suppose I would I would love to work as hard as I can and when it's when it is open to have something worth sharing with people and worth putting out there and worth people's time really I don't you know, I want, if I am going to do a concert or something, I want it to be worth people's times. And, and, and I, I now realize what a privilege it was and what people used to sacrifice to come to these concerts. You know, you sacrifice time, money, time with your family. You know, you, they could have spent time with their children or their, their families, but instead they chose to come to a concert. Um, and I don't know that as musicians, we were always 100% aware of that. There's a, there used to be sometimes a sort of level of, oh, I'm a musician, and if you don't like it, then it's there's something wrong with you. You must love music. Whereas I think now I'm aware that, of course, people love music, but you have to work hard to, um, yeah, I suppose, maybe, to make it work sometime. Maybe we will, uh, on either sides uh, of the audience and the performers, we will feel how much we need each other much more. Exactly, this. exactly. I think that's that's super well put. It's just going to be a, a wonderful meeting. And I, I, kn I know it's, it's going to come. It's just a question of how and in what structure, because I think maybe some things will, will have changed for good. We shall see. Yes. Florian, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And make sure to check out Florian's response to the COVID-19 crisis on his Facebook page. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, have a look at my Patreon page.